It is a privilege to be with you guys. I am very humbled to be here. Um, you have a pastor, of course, well, you know, that teaches the Word. And I, I like to kind of preface that with, he doesn't teach from the Bible, he teaches the Bible. There's a big difference between that, I'm sure you know that. So again, it is a privilege and an honor to be with you. I would be attending this church, but I have to pastor another church. So, Plus, I live in San Bernardino or San Bernardino, and so it would be kind of a drive to come out here, but uh, I would come out here. But it is an absolute privilege to be with you this evening. Um, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 tonight. I want to speak to you on the subject of falling from grace. Falling from grace. I want to look at a very familiar story, a very familiar account. It's recorded in all four Gospels. So if you've read the Gospels, you've come across this particular account. And it's the very fact that it's mentioned four times um, is extremely important because God does not want us to miss this. And what I'm referring to is uh, the fall of Peter. And so we're going to look at Mark 14, verses 27 through 72. But I just want to pick it up in verse 66. Let's look at really the whole climax of this whole event, and then we'll look at what leads up to it. But Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 66. And it says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, seeing Peter warming himself. She looked at him and, and said, You too were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about, and he went out um, unto the porch. And the maid saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a, a little while, the bystander again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. And immediately a cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. You know, the term falling from grace is a Christian term. And let me define it tonight since that is our title. It means to sin or to get on the wrong side of God. It means to revert back to bad behavior after a period of good behavior. You know, failure is a bitter pill to swallow. And all of us in life have experienced times of failure. But you know what's the most difficult pill to swallow? Is when we fail at something that we're generally good at. That's what really hurts. If we're good at a certain thing, and then we fail in that certain thing, it is one difficult pill to swallow. But do you recognize that often failure is what actually has to take place. Because failure has a way of getting us or getting our attention and at the same time making us teachable. And this particular event that we're going to look at this evening is the fall of Peter. All four Gospels record it. So it's one of those events that God does not want us to miss. So you've read one of the Gospels, you've read this account of the fall of Peter. But I really believe that the last night, really, of, of Jesus' ministry on earth that encircles this event of Peter's fall is probably one of the most instructive nights of Peter's life. And what I want to do this evening is I want to look at the fall of Peter. I want to look at what led up to the fall of Peter. It didn't just happen one evening. There were, there were events that led up to his fall. And, and what I like to do is when I look at a passage like this, I like to reduce it to a single sentence. I like to give the thought. Here's the thought of this passage before us. 
Falling from grace can be traced back to an ignorance or a disregard for what God has said. That in a nutshell is what falling from grace is really all about. We either have this ignorance about what God has said to us, or we have a disregard for what God has said to us. Now, here's how I want to break this passage down this evening. In verses 27 through verse 54, I want to look at Peter's errors. There's a number of errors that Peter falls into, actually six of them that lead up to Peter's denial of Jesus. Six common errors. And as we look at them this evening, you'll say, I identify that one. I actually did that one last week. And you may even be able to say that. But six common errors that led to Peter's fall. And then in verse 66 through verse 72 is Peter's fall. So we want to look at Peter's errors, and then we want to look at Peter's fall. So first of all, I think it's interesting that all four Gospels record the fall of Peter. I think it was God's mercy to record this so that God might warn us about what could happen to us. And it's really sort of a a heads up. That when we look at this, we could say, okay, I see what he did. I don't want to repeat it. You can see someone walking through a mud puddle and say, I don't want to do that. You know, because I can see what's just transpired. And so I think God in his mercy has allowed this so that we might learn from it. It was someone once made the observation. The only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And so I hope that we might take notes tonight, and, and, and what a great group to talk to tonight about ministry. I mean, that's really what it's all about. To me, it's one of the greatest privileges of all of life is to represent the Lord, to serve the Lord. And, and I, I just cannot think of anything that is, that is more wonderful, that is more challenging, that is most rewarding than the ministry itself. And, and I'm speaking to people, fellow ministers here tonight, I mean, this is a great privilege, and I'm sure these things can be very helpful to us. So we're going to look at six heirs of Peter. Here's the first one. The first heir is in verses 27 through 29, and it's Peter's self-confidence. That's the first heir that led to Peter's fall, was Peter's self-confidence. In Mark chapter 14, verse 27 says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Now, this is self-confidence at its best. Here is Peter himself saying, well, the rest of these guys, I can figure that out for myself. But as to me, myself, I will not. I will not let you down. It will not happen. In verse 29, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And let me suggest something to you. Peter is actually worse than the rest. And let me tell you why. It's because they didn't deny the Lord like he did. So he was actually worse than them. His self-confidence brought out something that made him worse than those that he was had a disregard for and a disdain for. Jesus had foretold this. Again, in Mark 14, 30, uh, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that you yourself, this very night before a cock crows twice, shall three times deny me. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not never deny you. And they all were saying the same thing too. Possibly a few hours earlier in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, these words were spoken. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. 
So Jesus, attempting to get Peter's attention, actually says his name two times. Now, if your wife says your name two times in a row, you're in trouble. Or she's at least trying to get your attention. So the very fact that Jesus says, Simon, Simon, he's trying to say, heads up, you better listen to what I'm about to say. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter was going to fail. But at the same time, God promised, I'm going to restore you. In John chapter 13, verse 36, it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, here's the great lesson. Don't trust in yourself. I don't know how many sports people we got here tonight. I mean, I'm not much of a sports people. When I hear sports, I think the Lakers against the Rams or something. You know, I'm just not much of a a sports person. I thought the Super Bowl would involve the Ducks, you know, but it didn't, you know. So I'm not much of a sports person. But I have learned this. There's a lot of gifted, gifted athletes that can't be used. And the reason they can't be used is because they so trust in themselves. They're so full of themselves. And I look over the church and I I look at some of the folks that are in my own fellowship, some of the resources that could be at God's disposal. But they really can't be used because they're so full of themselves. They're just, they're in love with themselves. And so because of that, they really can't be used. You, You can't really use it. They're not open to it. They're not teachable. They're not willing to do what needs to be done. They They just, they just are not there. And so Jesus even put a time limit or a timetable on which this would take place. He says, you yourself this very night before a cock crows twice. Matthew 26, 34 says, and Jesus says, truly I say to you that this very night before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. Now, Peter loved Jesus so much, he could not see himself letting Jesus down. Because he was enamored with himself. He was in love with himself. He was focused upon himself. And he could not see this taking place. You know what you find? And I know that you've been taught this over and over and over again. Genesis 32 is the great chapter that teaches us this. That our weaknesses are really our great strengths, aren't they? And our great strengths are often our weakness. The reason being is that when we're good at something and... And, and we're able to do it quite well. We have a tendency of not really, you know, seeking anyone's counsel, getting any direction from anyone because I got this. But on the other hand, when you're not sure about yourself and you're weak in that area and you and you feel vulnerable in that area, that's when you draw from God's strength. You depend upon the Lord. You're open to counsel. You're open to direction because then you recognize that you need help. And, and it's oftentimes those that are extremely gifted. Those that, that, that do quite well are the ones that get themselves into lots of trouble. I and mean, we can go back and talk about Tiger Wood. You know, one person told me recently it, the tiger became a cheetah. You know, it's involved with all these women. And here's this guy jet-setting all over the world, this man that was so talented in the area of golf. But here's a man that's literally out of control. 
And so here Peter is this strong, strong man that, that could not see himself letting Jesus down because he was so trusting in himself. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 says, Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I like what Vance Habner said. It's a great quote. He says, the Lord had the strength. I had the weakness. So we teamed up. It was an unbeatable combination. Isn't that a great quote? I am weak. He was strong. We hooked up. What an unbeatable combination. Here's the second error that Peter committed. It's in verses 30 and 31. Peter's disregard for the word of God. Peter's disregard for the word of God. Notice verse 30 here of Mark 14. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, you yourself this very night before a cock crows twice shall deny me three, will, will three times deny me. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing too. Notice it says Peter insistently or exceedingly veniently. The word in the Greek describes it as there was hand motions. He was emphasizing the fact that that just was not going to take place. What should have happened was Peter should have been humbled by what Jesus was saying. He would have said, Jesus, I, even though I don't know that I would do this, what is it that I should do? He doesn't humble himself before Jesus and, and ask Jesus what he should do. He disregarded Jesus' word to him. He disregarded what Jesus was saying. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Of course, Zechariah 13, 7 tells us that all of the disciples would, would, would flee and they would take off. But Peter saw himself as not doing that. It wasn't going to happen. Here's the big lesson. Don't argue with the word of God. I'll tell you, as a pastor, I can tell you story after story of individuals that have challenged God's word and have argued with the Bible over and over and over again. Oh, he's such a cute little Philistine. He won't get me to sin. I'm stronger than that. I know the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. You know what fellowship is light and darkness. But you have to understand this is me we're talking about here. I'm much stronger than that. That could never, never, ever happen to me. It's amazing how many times the Bible warns us about being deceived. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, I'll be a witness. No, you'll be a nitwit is what you'll be. You will not be a witness. When he goes to kiss me, I'll put my new American standard on his lips or something like this. We're arguing with the word of God. The Bible says, do not be deceived. And you know why? Because we are. So the Bible emphasizes it. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I know most people can't handle what I'm about to do, but I can handle it. I can do it. 
I, I can hang around with non-believers. I can hang around with unchurched people. It doesn't affect me. I can do it. And I'll rub off on them and, and, and you'll see that I'm able to do that. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Well, we try to prove this wrong all the time. Sow to the flesh, reap corruption. Sow to the wind, reap the whirlwind. But somehow we think we can do it. And then James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Just amazing to me. I, I had some individual just some months back. Just amazing to me. I, I called him in my office. I come to find out that he was not divorced and he was dating another woman. And so he came in to set me straight. To let me know that what he was doing was biblical. Because in God's eyes, he wasn't married. So I asked him the question. And this is a great one. You can use this one. This is great. I said, uh, I said, well, could you marry this girl you're dating right now? And he goes, no. I go, why not? Because I'm still married. Thank you. That was my point. <laughs> you're still married. But he thought he could argue with me, argue with Scripture, argue with what he was doing. Again, if you argue with Scripture, you argue with God, the Bible will prove you wrong over and over and over again. Again, Peter would deny Jesus three times. But notice something else here about our passage here in verse 31. Notice it says, and they all were saying the same thing too. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, doesn't it? You get a complainer in the church. You get a complainer in the ministry. You get someone that's whining and doesn't have a, a good attitude. It just begins to spread is what it does. So if you find yourself in the ministry, you find yourself being discontented, you've got to take that to the Lord. Because you will influence people, not for the better, but for the worse. So we, that's why the Bible again and again tells us to check ourselves, to examine ourselves, check our hearts. Because we don't want to leaven the lump. We don't want to bring that corruption into the church, into the ministry, and to hurt people through the whole process. Well, that's what Peter was doing here. Peter was like leaven. Leaven in Scripture is a, is a picture of hypocrisy or corruption. And here the spokesman of the disciples was beginning to spread. And the others now were saying the same thing. You're right, Peter. You tell him, Peter. You correct Jesus. He doesn't know. You, you, you tell him. That's it, Peter. We're supporting you. The third era of Peter is in verses 32 through 41. It was Peter's prayerlessness. Peter's prayerlessness. In verse 32, and they came to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Mark fourteen thirty-seven. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Now, this is the first time. Peter's going to be caught three times, but this is the first time this takes place. But I think it's interesting. When you look at verse 37, I want to point something out which I find interesting. Notice how he refers to Peter, not as Peter, but as Simon. You see, the name Simon was the name that was given to him by man, but the name Peter was the name that Jesus or God gave him. So what I think Jesus is saying here is, you know what, Peter? You're acting like a man right now. 
You're not acting spiritual. A spiritual Peter would pray, but you're not praying. What you're doing right now is you're acting like a man. You're trusting in yourself. You're, you're trusting in your own ability. You see the same thing in the life of Jacob that God changed his name to Israel, which means, again, governed by God. And it's an interesting thing to see that after chapter 32, the times that he's called Jacob is because he's walking in the flesh. And then when he's walking as a spiritual man, he's called Israel. And you got the same situation here. You got this man that has been given a new name by Jesus, but he's reverting back to the old man. And and he's living like just a, a carnal, carnal man. What Jesus was doing here is Jesus was exposing the pride and self confidence of Peter, which again is, is, is a heads up from Jesus attempting to get a hold of Peter. Verse 38. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, we're told again and again about how weak this flesh of ours truly is. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, I find then this principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, let me say something about this passage right here. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Do you know that that's not a pass, a free pass by Jesus? I don't know how many times I've had people quote this to me and say, hey, you're going to be there Wednesday night? Well, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Hey, uh, you know, how you been doing? You've been walking with the Lord. Well, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, because your flesh is weak, you have to pray up. So it's really a heads up to depend upon God. The very fact that you have a weak nature, you have a tendency towards sin, the only way to save yourself, the only way to save your neck, is you have to be given to prayer. You have to draw from God's strength. So it's not a a free pass that when you blow it, oh, well, it's the flesh is weak. Sort of a, a Calvinistic perspective it really is. I mean, what does God expect from me? You know, I'm only flesh. You know, that's just the way it is. So because we are that way, we need to be prayed up. And that's the reason that Peter ultimately falls, because he doesn't pray. He doesn't do what Jesus asked him to do. And so verse 41 says, And he came the third time, or or let's go back here to the second time. Verse 40 says, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Now, again, it's probably maybe two or three in the morning. They've been up hours, 20-some hours, and they're, they're exhausted. So we, there's a tendency, we say, ah, give them a break, you know, they're just, they're, they're extremely tired and so forth. But again, had they been involved in prayer, I'm sure that their hearts would have been warmed by that. They would have been a little more fervent had they been praying, and maybe they would have stayed awake. And so in verse 41, we have the third time, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So now the third time Jesus comes and he catches Peter. It's interesting, Luke adds something interesting. In Luke 22:45, Luke makes this observation. And when he arose from prayer, he came 
to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. You know, it's interesting that sleep sometimes is like a tranquilizer. It really is. And, I, and I've seen people go through difficult times. Some people, when they're going through difficult times, will sleep their life away like Rip Van Winkle. That's what they'll do. They'll just sleep their life away. Others, when they go through a difficult time, can't sleep. Some, when they're going through a difficult time, eat themselves till they pop, you know. Others, on the other hand, when they're going through difficult times, can't eat. So in this case, it, it reveals to us that the difficulties that they were going through, instead of praying as Jesus directed them to pray, they took the tranquilizer of sleep. And they use that to deal with the difficulties that they're going through. I encourage all of us that, that sleeping isn't going to do it. We need to pray. That's one of the great problems today. The church is prayerless. We need to pray. We need to be a praying people. Prayer is to the believer what air is to the lungs. That's what it is as a believer. Prayer is dependence upon God. And here Peter was full of himself. He didn't need to pray. He had everything under control. He wasn't going to deny Jesus like the rest of these bozos. I mean, he had this thing together. He was going to make this thing happen. He was going to prove Jesus wrong. So we come now to the fourth era of Peter in verses 46 and 47. This fourth era was Peter fought when he should have surrendered. There was ever a time that Peter should have surrendered. This was the moment. But instead, Peter fought. Verse 46 says, And they laid hands on him and seized him. Verse 47, But a certain one of those who stood by, drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, who, pray tell, would that be? Well, we know who it is. John 18.10 tells us who it is. And Simon Peter, therefore having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So here we have zeal without knowledge is what we have here. We have Peter's attempt to serve Jesus in the energy of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know, when we try to do God's will in our flesh, people get hurt. I wonder how often Jesus follows behind me picking up people's ears. And there's been a few times I'm sure that he's had to do that for me. Because we're operating in the flesh instead of dependence upon God through the Holy Spirit. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So here was Peter now wanting to prove Jesus wrong. He he musters up this strength that he had. And he now pulls out this sword and he whacks this, this, this servant probably attempting to take his head off, but all he got was an ear. And so that's what he did. You know, how how this is characteristic of someone that's not in the Word and not in prayer. A number of years ago, we uh, kind of changed things up in the children's ministry, and I'm sure you may be doing the same thing here. We, we decided that if people can't come and pray before they serve, they can't serve. And our thinking behind this was, is that we don't want people operating in the flesh. If they can't take the time to come and meet, have a devotion, and pray, and draw from God's strength, then we don't want to use them. Now, at first, it really irritated some people. And we even had some people say, well, that's legalistic. Isn't that amazing? Legalistic prayer. It's amazing. Dependence upon God, legalistic. That is so bizarre. 
But again, it was really God's way of cleaning house. Because we had a few people that were real self-willed that depended upon themselves. But at the same time, it, 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 it caused people to want to be there. They came early and waited by the door so they could use that classroom and they could pray. And, I, and again, I think that that's, that's just an absolute wonderful thing. We see another example of this back in, of course, Exodus, when, when Moses operated in the flesh and it cost a man his life. So again, that this lack of prayer, this lack of dependence upon the Lord that ultimately was very costly. Luke tells us in Luke twenty two fifty one, but Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed it. I don't know, I've always thought this is like the beginning of Potato Head. You know, it picks up this guy's ear and just pops on Oh, whoops, let's turn it around, you know. But, I mean, you think about it, I wonder how often this has happened. We haven't prayed, we're trusting in ourselves, we're arguing with the Bible, and we're out trying to serve Jesus. And in the whole process, ears are getting lopped off, people are getting hurt, because we're depending upon the strong arm of the flesh is what it is. Here's the fifth error that Peter committed was in verse 54. Peter followed when he should have fled for safety. Peter followed or when he should have fled for safety. Verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers, warming himself at the fire. Now, Jesus had commanded his followers that they were to flee. In John 18, 8, let these go their way. That was the plan. They were to go their way. But again, Peter followed at a distance. Again, there are many people that think they can play it safe. But you know, marginal is extremely dangerous. Being marginal is dangerous. Got a lot of people in the church that want to play it safe and they want to be marginal. They want to go to church on Sunday and then work for the devil on Monday. That's what they want to do. And they're kind of like, like Samson. They, they, they want to do the Lord's work during the day and then serve the devil at night. And, and that's a dangerous thing to be hearing the word of God, be involved with ministry of the word of God, but to be marginal about it, not giving our full selves to it is a very, very dangerous, dangerous thing to do. So again, this is a disregard for the word of God, that the sheep would scatter. He decided to follow. He'll play it safe. He'll follow from a distance. He well, he won't get too radical about this Jesus thing. And this brings us to number six in verse 54. Peter sat with the wrong crowd. Peter sat with the wrong crowd. Verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers, warming himself at the fire. Again, what a dangerous thing. You know, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers or the scornful. The Bible talks about a progression that happens when we hang with the wrong crowd. We walk, we stand, and we sit. Now, the psalmist was not teaching holier than thou, but what he's teaching is, is that he knows what man is like. That if a man begins to walk with them, 
stand with them, eventually he'll begin to sit with them. And all of us are prone to this. We just are. You know, we're always talking about peer pressure. You know, our teens going through peer pressure. Listen, peer pressure exists your entire life. I mean, it can start with kindergarten not having the right $300 tennis shoes. I mean, it can't it can exist there. And it goes all the way through driving the right car, having the right house, hanging out with the right people. I mean, it's all part of this whole pressure thing. Again, how tragic that Peter now is with the wrong crowd. This is the crowd that has arrested Jesus. And where's he at? He's hanging with those that have arrested Jesus. You know, oftentimes I'll hear as a pastor people saying, I don't, I've never sat with the right crowd ever. I've been a Christian for a number of years and I, I, I really don't have any Christian friends. And what a tragic thing that if we've been a Christian for a year or a number of years, we don't have any Christian friends. I think one of the problems is I watch some people after church and they flee the sanctuary like they're fleeing Afghanistan or something. I mean, it's just like, they run out. They get in their car, they hear this thump. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Pull out of the driveway, you know. Or they're pulling out. One of the brother's cars broke down. They roll down the window and they go, next time buy a Toyota. And they pull out. It's like, I, I, I don't get it. We're, we, we don't come early. We don't hang around. We don't, act what need, we don't ask what we can do to serve, what we can do to get involved. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I, I don't have one of your bulletins. I wish I had one of your bulletins right here because I could give some news flashes here tonight on things that we can do to build relationships. I know that you have multiple services Sunday morning. You can come early. You can hang around. You have a Sunday evening service. You have a Thursday night. I'm sure you have a, a marriage ministry here. I'm sure along with that, you got men's, you got women's. I know that, uh, that, that Xavier has a Bible study here. I think he even has it before even God gets up in the morning. I think it's at six or something, you know. It's like, so you have all of these opportunities that you have to build these relationships. And, and I just, I don't get it. Well, I just don't know anybody. And I, and I, and I don't get that. I guess that we expect to walk in and someone to run up to say, I'm going to be your BFF forever, you know, or something like that. You know, I'm going to be your best friend, you know. And, and, and I, I just, we're hanging with the wrong crowd. I, I, I sincerely mean this when I say this, and I'm sure many of you tonight can identify with this. Uh, my church family is closer than my physical family. And I mean, that's just the reality of it. Because they love me, I love them, and, and we serve together, and, and they are closer. And, and I know that's hard for some people. And, and there's some relationships that just don't work. And, and when you're equally yoked with others that love God, that love to serve God, there is a bond that is, that is produced that is just inseparable. Like that bond between David and Jonathan. I mean, what an incredible relationship. Everybody wants a Jonathan, but how about being that Jonathan to David and being committed to that person? So again, we need to get involved. We need to come early. We need to stick around. We need to ask what needs to be done, and we need to be there. And I I think that, that a lot of the relationships, and I'm sure most of you would agree, that you have over the years that have lasted have been built in ministry. It's getting there with the folks that you serve with. It's it's talking, it's getting together for a meal and just building those relationships that you have. And, and unfortunately here, Peter's hanging with the wrong crowd. I mean, this is the crowd that's arrested Jesus, that's going to try Jesus. This is, this is the wrong crowd. So we just looked at six heirs 
that lead now to Peter's fall in verses 66 through 70. There really should be no confusion or, 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 or really even the question, how could Peter fall? Does anyone know tonight how Peter fell? I mean, we just looked at six things that Peter did that led to verses 66 through 72. So we have Peter's denial of Jesus, which is a result of a series of errors. And so we now have this three denials of Jesus. The first one is in verses 66 through 68. And this denial was the dodging of Jesus. This question of whether he was with Jesus or he knew Jesus, he dodges the whole issue. And and you'll see as it progresses in verse 66, and Peter was below in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Now, when you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus endured six different trials. It's kind of hard to put them together, but there's a total of six trials that Jesus underwent during this period of time, from the wee hours of the morning until he was crucified. Three of those trials were ecclesiastical trials. And these particular trials were by the Jews, and the charges were blasphemy against God. And then the other three were civil, which was before the Roman government, and it was for treason. So you have blasphemy and treason. One was religious, the other was more of a civil in, in, in the scope of it. And so the Gospels mention these trials, and, and the travesty of justice that took place during these trials is just absolutely amazing. There's been lots of books that have been written about them, and you, know, you talk about a violation of someone's rights. Jesus really went through it, and uh, what, what took place was just incredible. In verse 67, so the servant girl seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out on the porch. By the way, you know what that's called? That's called a lie. You know, again, it tells us in John eight forty four that Satan is the father of lies. Some people think they originate in Washington. They really don't. <laughs> Satan is the father of lies. And what this is right here is a lie. I don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of like when Moses came down from receiving the commandments that he asked Aaron what happened. He says, I don't know. People gave me gold. I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. I don't, I don't know what happened. And that's what he's talking about. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, 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 I just don't know what happened here. So the second denial now is in verses 69 through 70. This is the second. And the second now is a disassociation of Jesus. First one is, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, the, the question's confusing and maybe there's a misunderstanding. I just don't get it. The second one is a disassociation of Jesus. Verse 69, and the maid saw him and began once more to say to the bystander, this is one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But again, he was denying it. Now, I want you to notice what caused Peter to deny Jesus two times so far. It was not soldiers with swords, but teenage girls with towels. That's what it was. I mean, think about it. These are girls that are asking him this. Servant girls. And he buckles to the pressure of servant girls. 
Again, it doesn't take much because Jesus foretold that it would happen. It's very clear that he would deny him three times. And what really made him fall really is insignificant that it was actually some young girls serving, waiting on tables that he buckled under. The third denial is in verses 70 and 71. And this denial was a defense against Jesus. So there was a disassociation and now a defense against Jesus. Verse 70, and after a little while, the bystanders again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Now when it says cursing, he didn't use, you know, four-letter words. That is what it's talking about. What he did was he put himself under a curse. He goes, I swear, my father's grave, I don't know what you're talking about. I can swear that it is not so. Verse 72, and immediately a cock crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a cock crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he began to weep. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said in verse 30. If you go back to verse 30, this is what Jesus said was going to take place. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, that you yourself this very night before a cock crows twice shall three times deny me. Luke twenty two sixty one, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me Three times. And the Bible says he began to weep. Peter recognized that he had argued with the word. He had argued with Jesus. He had did the very thing that Jesus warned him he would do. That he vehemently fought against. You know, sometimes we must fail in order to succeed. And that, those are bitter, bitter lessons to learn. That we've so trusted in ourselves that God has to break us so that he can do that work in us and through us. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sip you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, God was going to use one sinner to restore other sinners. And that was Peter. Through Peter's fall, God was going to use that. It was going to produce compassion in him so that he could be a restorer of others that would fall the same way that Peter himself had fallen. Now, we know that Peter was restored in John chapter 21. There's a scene in which Jesus restores Peter back into the ministry, back into that relationship with Jesus through fellowship. We also know that the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts are all about Peter. I mean, he's a different man. And I believe that's due to the fact that he has fallen, he has repented. He is now trusting in Jesus. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and God uses this man. He's a different man. Later, Peter would say these words in 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I like what the Apostle Paul said about repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, I now rejoice not that you are made sorrowful, but that 
you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. I can bet tonight. Let me make a prediction tonight. Tonight and tomorrow night, there's going to be quite a few police departments that are going to have in their holding cells individuals that are going to have remorse for drinking and driving. They're going to be remorseful over it because they know their insurance is going to go up. Some of them know that their spouse is going to leave them because that's the last time. Some are possibly going to lose their job because they'll no longer have a license. But how many of them are really repentant of what's happened? How many of them would say, I'm happy I got arrested because I've turned my life over to Christ. My life is going to be different now because of what's happened. I praise God for that ticket. I thank God for that arrest. Because now I'm not sorry I got caught. I'm happy I got caught. Because now God can change me from the inside out. See, I think many are acquainted with the fall, but not of recovery. You see, when we think about David and we think about Peter, I think many of us are quite aware of the fall of David. And we're well aware tonight of the fall of of Peter. But at the same time, how many of us are also acquainted with their recovery? Sometimes you'll talk with someone about the Lord and they'll say, oh, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the things that I've done. And that's probably true. We don't. But there's another side to that. We have a God that loves to recover. We got a God that loves to restore. And maybe we have denied the Lord. Maybe tonight we have disobeyed the Lord. Maybe tonight we have done some things that we know are not pleasing to the Lord. And we're quite aware of our, of our failures. We're quite well of our fall. And we know all too well what it is to fall. But what about recovering? What about recovering from the Lord? What about repentance? What about restoration with the Lord? By way of application, I want to close tonight with just five things. I want to pull five things from what we looked at tonight, and I hope that these can be something that we can think about this evening. I just want to kind of recap some things from what we we talked about this evening. First of all, number one, God's word applies to me. So often when we're hearing the Bible being taught, we're going, I wish my wife was here. This would benefit her so much if she was here. I wish my Antichrist mother-in-law was here. This would really help her out a lot. You know what? The Bible applies to me. The Bible applies to you. Let's not put it off for somebody else in a convenient dispensation for someone else in a different time and a different period. The Bible applies to me. Secondly, let us guard against prayerlessness. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's not a free pass. It's a heads up that because you are weak, you better be prayed up. Because you are weak. It's not a, okay, you get a pass. You're going to fail. I'll give it to you. You got a pass. It's not that at all. Because you are weak, you have to be prayed up. That's, that's really what he's saying by that verse. That's, it's, it's a warning. Number three, beware of confidence in one's own strength. When I am weak, then I am strong. 
God help us in those areas of our life in which God has blessed us in, which we're so proficient in and we do so well in. It's so dangerous. It's just so, so dangerous. There were some years, this years ago, my, my son now, I think he's 32, and as I get older, I forgot how old he is, but it's like, uh, it's amazing. What I put in a brand new lawn. We had bought this house. I put in this brand new lawn, and I was, I was actually teaching a study. And when I returned home, he thought he would help me by watering the lawn with a power nozzle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He took that nozzle and just basically just blew the seed in the lawn and put all these little zigzags all over the lawn. And, and, and again, I can do this. I, I can, I've seen my dad water. I can do this. And I wonder sometimes if, if when God hears us saying, I can do this, he's going, I don't even want to look right now. This is not going to be pretty. The disaster. Number four, we need to build relationships with the right crowd. We look at doing inventory tonight. We look at our relationships and we got more heathen friends and more pagan friends than we got Christian friends. We, we need to make some changes there. Oh, we need to be a witness to them. We need to reach out to them. But we better have some godly friends that hold us in check, that we pray for, they pray for us. They're accountable. We're accountable to each other. Oh, we have to. And if you're involved in ministry here, you already have that. But that should be ongoing. It's, it's growing as the years go by. That should be taking place. And then number five. Many sin like David and Peter but have not repented like David and Peter. So it's one thing to be able to identify and say, I was just like David, I was just like Peter. Well, are you also like them in repentance? Are you also like them in restoration? Because though a righteous man falls, sometimes gets back up. And that's the big difference. They get back up. They get back and trust God. Well, I hope tonight that God has spoken to us tonight. That we're challenged tonight to go deeper in our relationship with God. I tell you, over the years as a pastor, one of the things that really excites me is when someone comes up and they say, you know, Pastor, wherever I'm needed, you know, whatever you think is best, that's where I want to serve. But I am freaking out. I'm terrified. I love a person like that. Versus the person that says, Pastor, when can I fill in for you on a Sunday? I'm ready to go. You know, that's the person that scares me. I love a person that's freaking out, saying, I don't know if I can usher. I don't know. Maybe I'll die. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can usher. What happens if they say they don't want to sit down? I don't know what I'll do. It's like they're all freaking out. It's like, I love a person like that. Because that's a person who recognizes that in their weakness, they'll find strength because their dependence is upon God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you tonight. I thank you for our time together. I, I pray, Lord, that you would make us servants of God that we would recognize that great strength is found in weakness, that our dependence upon the Lord is where that strength may be found. Let us not disregard your word, argue with the word, because we'll always come up short, we'll always lose. I pray for any here tonight that have feels like we've disappointed the Lord, we have not followed the Lord, that tonight we want to confess that to you. We don't want that hanging over us. We want to fresh start. We want to, again, be renewed in our relationship with you, reinstated with you, be right with you so that you might use us. And so we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.